Okay, good morning everyone. Welcome back to Parsha Perspectives for today. So glad and grateful and excited to be resuming our learning together of the Parsha. This morning we have the privilege of learning together Parsha's Vayera, page 78 in the Earth Scroll Stone, Chumash. As always, we begin with our attitude of gratitude. Tremendous thanks to our series sponsors, Becky and Avi Katz and family. In memory of Becky's father, Li'uli Nishmas, David Menachem Manish, David Grossman. This morning's shir is also sponsored by Eric Froman in commemoration of the Yurtzeit of Harold Dubow, Tzvi Hirsch Ben Yonah Dov, the 15th of Cheshvan, anonymously in honor of the Yurtzeit of Yitzchak Ben Chaim Tzvi and Mindel Bas Yitzchak, and by Elaine Trachtenberg, Andrea and Alan Lieberman, Dvar and Hill Lefkowitz, in memory of their husband, father, and grandfather, our dear and beloved member, someone who was a pillar of our community who did so much for us, Dr. Howard Trachtenberg, who sorely missed Chaim Tzvi Hirsch Ben Binyamin on his Yeretzite, the 19th of Cheshvan, all their Neshama, Shrav and Aliyah. Tremendous thank you to all of those sponsors. One last housekeeping note before we dive into the Parsha together. We've started a new WhatsApp group for the Parsha Perspectives. So for those who want to be on to know the schedule, when she is on or off, for the Parsha Perspective printout, the write-up that you could print for your Shabbos table, bonus material, extra Divrei Torah, you can take out your phone right now or remember to do it later and go to rabbiefrengoldberg.org slash WhatsApp. RabbiEfremGoldberg.org slash WhatsApp. And there are the links to join each of the WhatsApp group for every shir I give, because each group, each shir will have a WhatsApp group where we'll post bonus material, some of the sources, keep uh, up to date about the shir, whether it's on or off and where, and where you could find it online. So if you'd like to access all of that, go to RabbiEfremGoldberg.org slash WhatsApp, and you can find it all right there. Okay, with that, let's dive into the Pasha. Page 78, as I said in the article, Stone Chumash, Vayire Elav Hashem, the sun is out high in the sky. Avram Avinu is sitting outside nonetheless. The thought of not doing chesed for Avram, the idea of living a self-centered, egocentric life, of being focused only on himself and his happiness, is more painful than baking in the sun. We can relate here in South Florida that the weather has turned and it is beginning to be magnificent. And I see many of you have arrived. Welcome back to South Florida, by the way. The, um, we know what it's like in the summer here to bake in that sun. It's oppressive. It absolutely draws all the energy out of you. It can knock you out. We are desperate to get back inside, back in the air conditioning, back in the shade, back in the cool weather. And Avram Avinu says, the thought, the thought of being inside by myself, the thought of neglecting or ignoring people who could need my help, no way, absolutely not. He refuses and he, sits, and he sits outside. There are several magnificent things to learn about Avram's chesed here in this case. One, the altar of Kelm wonders. If the Torah wants to delineate, if the Torah wants to elaborate, if the Torah wants to communicate and educate about the importance, the significance, and the details of how to do chesed, why does it choose Avram's chesed? Not with people, not with human beings. Not with, we know that Avram Avinu, the planted Vaita Eshel Beber Sheva. Avram Avinu, this Eshel is an acronym. Avram Avinu took care of his guests in extraordinary ways. He went to great lengths. He didn't leave any stone unturned. He did incredible things for them. And yet, when the Torah wants to delineate and elaborate, it doesn't do so when Avram Avinu is actually helping other human beings. It does so in the context of what? With whom? When Avram is helping none other than Malachim and angels. So why not elaborate later? Why not elaborate in the context of helping actual people who have actual chesronas needs and lacks in their life? Why does the Torah specifically elaborate here in the context of the angel? 
So says the author of Kelm, The Torah here is trying to plant within us an incredibly important foundation. You might say to yourself, you learn this narrative, you read about this episode, and what conclusion might you reach? Wow, what a waste. What a waste. Avram Avinu spent time, spent money, spent energy, got his family involved, who also, by the way, were recovering from bris milah. And what a waste. He did it all for people who didn't need it. They were malachim. They weren't tired. They weren't hungry. They weren't anything because they were angels. They weren't even people. So one might read this episode and conclude, wow, what a total and utter waste. But that would be a terrible mistake, says the altar of Kelm. Because that presumes, that presupposes, for whom do we do chesed? Who is the chesed really all about? The recipient. Who is the beneficiary? The target of the chesed. But that's a mistake. Because when we do chesed, it's not only about providing the need for another, it's about cultivating within ourselves the instinct and the intuition of kindness, of being magnanimous, of being generous, of being giving, of being good. And so you're right. It turns out that these were angels. And it turns out these resources didn't go to those who really needed. Turns out, Avram spent a lot of time and a lot of energy where it wasn't really needed. But you know what? Chazal tell us, Rachmana liba ba'i. Hashem wants our heart. And all of these mitzvahs and all of these behaviors and all these mandates are to try to mold and fashion and transform our hearts, to turn us into givers, not takers, to turn us into people who are focused on others, not ourselves, to become selfless, not selfish, so even though you're right, there's going to be outliers. There's going to be hopefully a minority of cases where the person didn't really need to receive. But in the end of the day, it's really about us becoming, transforming ourselves to become givers. And that's why it says the altar of Kelm. When we daven, we say in our davening, umatsasa es levavo ne'eman lefanecha. About Avram Avinu, Kodesh Baruch the Shalom found umatsasa. What did he find about Avram? That his actions are ne'eman? His heart is Ne'eman Lefanecha. His heart was trustworthy and faithful and reliable because for Avram it's all about his heart, having a good heart, expanding his heart and nourishing his heart and having a heart that is a giving heart. And I find this a powerful message not only because when it comes to chesed, you know, sometimes it's not about over-examining the worth, the worthiness of the recipient, but sometimes it's about there's an opportunity presented for us. Are we going to do what's right? Are we going to do, are we going to be givers? Are we going to be kind? Are we going to be generous? Rahman Ali boy, it's not always about an evaluation and analysis on the worthiness of the recipient. And you know, sometimes there's going to be outliers in all of us for our community and those who knock on the door of our homes. There are going to be people who come collect and we find out later they didn't really need. We find out later they were frauds or that they were um, capable of earning on their own and they came anyway. And I'm not saying that we should specifically give without doing a proper investigation, without demanding some level of transparency. Of course we should, particularly when it comes to communal funds for which we have an awesome responsibility. But if it turns out and if we find out that the person that we gave to really didn't fully need or, or we then saw them eating out locally in a restaurant and how are they using that money and, and now we start to be filled with regret and resentment and anger, we shouldn't. Stop! Says the altar of Kelm, Avram Avinu, these are angels and yet he has no regret. You know why? It's about molding and shaping and fashioning our heart and the way, and the way that we give. 
It's a willingness to be Moser Nefesh, a willingness to be able to make sacrifices and compromise and give of ourselves because life is not about ourselves. It's about caring and supporting others. So the author of Kelman says that's why. The Torah specifically elaborates in Avram Avinu's unusual or unique precedent, chesed, when it comes to angels, not human beings, to teach us that even when the recipient doesn't seem worthy, it's not a waste of resources, time, or energy. It's not a bad use of our effort because it's all about growing and becoming better ourselves. Rezid Lepstein, the mashkiach of Torah Or, Sefer Ha'aros, he has another beautiful, beautiful idea. He says, When it comes to Avram's chesed with the angels, we find an enormous chiddush. You ready for this? We all know that when it comes to, I have resources, I have money, I have food, I have things. I have the opportunity to share it with others. Share it with others. Share our gashmias with others. That we know. We also know that in the world of ruchnias, Ramosha Feinstein is a famous tshuva, and he says that just like we have an obligation to give meiser, just like we have to give 10% of our income to others who don't have, because Baruch it's not our money. We are the junior partner, he is the senior partner. With whatever we earn and whatever we have, we were incapable of really achieving it. Without him, he's the senior partner. He's 99.9999% and our effort and our initiative and our ingenuity and on our, our entrepreneurship, we're 0.00001%. And Hashem says, you know what, despite that, tell you what, you keep 90%. Just do me a favor, 10%, don't even give to me. I've got other kids who need, do me a favor. I really deserve 99%, I'm the senior partner, says God. You keep 90%. Even though it never would have happened, it never would have succeeded, you would never have it. You keep did they figure out the Powerball yet, by the way? The drawing? I don't have a ticket. They did. Okay. But my Uber driver last night in Alabama promised me that if he won, he was going to give some to our... He's not Jewish, but he promised he was going to... He was blown away by our, our kids that we took to Auburn. So he wanted to give some of the money here. Anyway, so whatever we earn... Sorry for that distraction. Whatever we earn... 1.9 billion. Whatever we earn, God is the senior partner... 99.999, and he says, you keep 90%, 10%, don't even give it to me, give to other children of mine who need. And Rav Moshe writes the same way that we have an obligation to give 10% of our income to those less fortunate. Similarly, 10% of our spiritual investment of time, our spiritual income and ability, we have to give to others. So if you have the opportunity to learn with someone less knowledgeable, if you have the opportunity to host, to do outreach, to be able to inspire others, then at least 10% of your time you have to give in that context. Says Rav Zayd Lepshin, no chiddush there. That's obvious, that we know. Share your gashmias with others and share your ruchmias with others. Last week I was in Israel with my family, family Simcha. I was sitting at a cafe and a, a man came over to me. He looked like a breast of a chassid, but I don't want to assume. And he sheepishly said, you know, I'm in that store and I'm trying to buy my first pair of tcheles and I can afford the beged, the tzitzis, but the tzitzis is just so expensive, I can't afford it. What do you say? I'm not flexing, I'm not showing off. Any of you would have done the same. I'm trying to give you an example. It's an interesting story because I happen to have my own dilemma or guilt why I don't wear tzitzis. It's a good question. Mariv Rabbi Rav Shechter does. Many other Gedolei Yisrael. 
Babelski wore Tcheles, and Rav Scheinberg, one of his pairs of tzitzis, wore Tcheles. Tcheles is a whole sugya. But I figured this was my opportunity. I don't wear them, but if I can buy them for someone else, wonderful. So here was a Jew, sincere. When he first came over, he wanted money. I said, I'm sorry, I don't have any cash. You know the way I want to go back to my, my cappuccino, my latte, my uh, french fries. He says, no, I don't want money. I just need help buying tzitzis, Tcheles. Who wouldn't jump at that opportunity? Who wouldn't jump at that opportunity to help another Jew do a mitzvah, which might be the fulfillment of the mitzvah of Tcheles? Who wouldn't jump? So begashmi is to know that we have to help others physically, we know. To give of ourselves spiritually to help others, we know. Says Rav Zayda Lepshin, here's the chiddush of Avram Avinu. With whom was he speaking when these angels in the guise of men showed up? Who was he having a conversation with? With the Ribbonu Shalom, with the Almighty, with Hashem. And he interrupts and he aborts the conversation with Hashem. He terminates the conversation with Hashem to go wash the feet, to go give some water for them to wash their feet and to make lunch and to serve these three men. He has no idea who they are. That's the Chiddush, says Rav Zedel Epstein. HaChiddush HaMatzinu Eitzel Avram Avinu SheHikriv Meharuchni Yeshalau Laseis Lezulaso Gashmias He sacrificed his spirituality to give materially to others. We know we should sacrifice spiritually to give spiritually. And we know we should sacrifice materially to give to others materially. But that he gave up spiritually to give to others materially? Get out of the base medrash because there's somebody who's hungry. Stop your tehillim or your learning or your extra davening because the Jews on the West Coast, and Mitzvah Hashem, nothing should come our way now. The Jews on the West Coast were slammed by Hurricane Ian and we need to pack provisions and we need to drive it there. But what do you mean I have a chavrusa? But what do you mean I go to a shir? But what do you mean will I miss minion? But what do you mean I go to the Tehillim group? I, I should pack the provisions? I should collect the, the wipes and the canned tuna and the bottled water and drive up to Napa? Yeah. Avram Avinu says to the Rebona Shalom, excuse me, excuse me for a moment. I got to go and I'll be back. And what does he go to do? He says, excuse me, Rebona Shalom, I got to go. Somebody wants a chavrusa in Ketzei Somebody wants a chavrusa in, in uh, Pnimi Satera. No, he doesn't interrupt his conversation with Hashem to pursue Ruchnius. He interrupts his Ruchnius to pursue helping someone else with their Gashmius, says Rav Zedel. That's the Chiddush of Avram Avinu. That's what the Torah is trying to communicate here. In terms of our priorities and our hierarchy, of course, Ruchnius is critical and key Talmud Torah, Keneged Kulam, but when there's a Jew, and here, Avram Avinu, this is not a fellow Jew. This is not an Ivri. These are strangers. And Avram Avinu interrupts his own ambition and pursuit of Ruchnius to provide for and help the Gashmius of another. That is the incredible Chiddush. So Avram Avinu feeds them, Perik Yudches, Pasuk, Hey. He takes cream and milk and a calf which he had prepared. He puts it before them and he stood them over them beneath the tree and they ate. He stood over them beneath the tree and they ate. When was this? When was this? Everybody knows from Rashi. When was this? What? What time of the year? Oh, we all know Pesach. But it's not so clear. This wonderful sefer I've been telling you about, Otsar Plos HaTorah, fascinating, really enjoyable, great. I could give a five-hour shear every week just sharing his, his sources. They're fascinating. So he says the following. On the one end, the Medrash by Midbar Rabbah, Parshas Naso says, Vishanu and wait here under the tree. Why? Why under the tree? Where were they eating inside of? When do you eat outside your home 
under the material that comes from a tree, what holiday was it? It was Sukkot. The Medrash and Parshas Nasa says it wasn't Pesach. It was Sukkot. And they were eating in the Sukkah. And if you look actually, none of us say it, but if you look in the Piyot for Sukkot, for the second day of Sukkot, it says, Olam Kihishin Av Tachas Eit Sukkah. It says a reference to this medrash that in fact these angels, Avram Avinu, was feeding them where? In the sukkah. Why? Because it was sukkah. Avram Avinu is not going to keep sukkahs. Which begs the question whether it was Pesach or sukkahs, which we're not going to get into now and we've spoken about previously. What do you mean? Pesach hadn't yet happened. They weren't yet enslaved in Egypt and they hadn't yet been liberated. Sukkahs hadn't yet happened. They didn't yet wander through a desert where they needed to sit in sukkahs and they hadn't yet been protected by the Anani HaKavod. So what in the world are you talking about that Avram Avinu celebrated holidays that commemorated events that hadn't yet happened? There's a critical core thing to understand about the Jewish notion of time and the Jewish observance of Yamim Tovim, but we don't have time for now. But that is the key to understand. The key to understand another time. So one medrash says he was feeding them a sukkah because it was sukkahs. That's what the piyot of sukkah says. The malachim came on sukkahs. Yeshman damer echem misachas rosh hashanah daf yiralaf medalaf shem sukkahs ba malachim levaser asara lamoid ashuve lachik eis chayalu asara ben lamoid arishon habashu pesach. When they came to deliver the news to Sara, you are going to become pregnant. You're going to conceive and have a child. Lamoid by the next yantif, you're going to be very pregnant and giving birth. And what was the next Yantif, according to one opinion of the Gemara Rosh Hashanah, was Pesach. This was Sukkot. By the next Yantif, you're already going to need a crib. By the next Yantif, you're going to need a nanny. By the next Yantif, you're going to have trouble making Pesach and also taking care of a newborn. Also, if you look at the timeline, Avram's bris was on Yom Kippur. And the Malachim came on the third day after his bris milah and... They came the two days before Sukkot, and so they came Sukkot time. On the other hand, our Parsha, and you look at the Mephoshim and our Parsha, and we're all familiar. What they made matzah, not chametz, because it was Pesach. So which is it? Was it Sukkot, was it Pesach? What time of the year did these angels visit? There's again a lot more to elaborate and say here. But he quotes a Chiddush from Rabbi Nachem Mendel of Rimenov, and a Sefer Menachem Tzion. He says, Hamalachim his akvu etzel Avram, yoser mishisha chadashim. You want to be blown away by Avram's hospitality? He didn't get a call from the shul that we have guests and visitors who are checking out the community. Can they sleep at you Friday night? They'll come Friday afternoon, 14 minutes before Shabbos. They'll leave Motzei Shabbos 30 seconds after Avdallah. Could you put them up for Friday night? That's not the call he got. When Avram Avinu welcomed these three malachim, they unpacked and moved in for how long? Six months from Sukkot to Pesach. And that's why we have Midrashim that reference both. Which is it? Were they there on Sukkot or were they there on Pesach? The answer is yes. <laughs> both. That's hospitality. That's Hachnas Asorchem. That's like Nobel Prize winning Hachnas Asorchem. That's why Avram's the goat. He's the greatest of all time in Hachnas Asorchem. Six months, that's a long time for family to move in, let alone strangers. Sometimes strangers are easily, easier than a family, but that's a long time for to host. That's a long time to host. Six months. You can see this as well from the Rakanti. The Rakanti has a tradition, one of the Rishonim, that when angels are in this world for seven days, seven consecutive days, they can't ever return back upstairs. 
So that supports the idea that the three came together and they had three separate missions, Stom, Avram Avinu, Talsara Hernuz, and they were here for seven days. They couldn't go back up. Therefore, they moved in for six months. It is a fascinating, fascinating Otsar Plosa Torah of which he has even more, even more to say. Even more to say. By the way, they come to tell Sarah she is pregnant. These angels. I have a question. I've been trying to read the Parsha more critically when I'm doing Shalai Mikra. I have a lot of questions. But during the Parsha Shir, I like to also give answers. So I don't want to share the questions I don't have answers for. But I'll tell them, maybe you have the answer. Sarah Imenu. She doesn't make the bread. Why can't she have contact with the bread? Pir Sanida. Rashi says, all of a sudden, her cycle returns. She menstruates. She gives her the status of Anida. She's Tamea. She's impure. She doesn't want to contaminate the bread because in those days they were observing the laws of, of purity. Moments later, the angels tell her, you're going to conceive and have a child. And she reacts incredulously. She laughs cynically. Me? I don't have a womb. I haven't had my period. I don't have an Orach Kanashem. What are you talking about? How is it even possible? I don't understand. Didn't a minute ago pierce Anida? It's true that for many years or maybe for all time, she had not menstruated and experienced the possibility of conception. But now she did so much so she was Tameo when it came to the bread. So why does she act so surprised? Clearly something's going on. Something supernatural is happening. Something's shifting. Why does she act so surprised and so cynically when she finds out? That's one question. I'll ask you another question. The Medrash is critical of Avram. When it comes to preparing and giving to the angels, does he do it himself? Much of it he does himself. Some of it he sends. Who? Ishmael, Ayyadei Shliach. And Chazal say, because he sent a Shliach and he did it, Ayyadei Yishmael, to go get the water, similarly, God took care of us, not directly, but through an agent, through a Shliach. And Chazal offered that as a criticism. I'm mean, into it directly yourself. You should have. And I think we discussed last year, two years ago in the Parsha year, what kind of criticism. Avram was trying to involve the family, his children. He's trying to be machanech his children. So isn't that a positive? Rabbi Moshe Feinstein says, the best way to be your machanech, your child, is not to have them do something instead of you, but it's to show them how to do it yourself. So you're done with the big meal, you're done with a guest in your home, and you're full, and you're kicking back in your recliner, and now they're walking out. So you say, hey, Shai, come. Walk the guest out. You have to be malava a guest. You give them the whole, all the makoros, the halacha. You have to walk a guest out. You sit in your recliner. Your belt is undone. You're sitting back and you call your child, walk them out. Says Rav Moshe, that's not how you're machanach. You're machanach, you say to your child, watch me walk them out. See, I'm walking them out because that's what we do. You got to do it yourself and you've got to do it directly. But here's my question. Kodesh Baruch Hu took the sun out of its sheath, out of its wallet, out of its nartik put the sun high in the sky to bake down. Why? Why did he do that? Beginning of our Pasha. Because Avram Avinu was recovering from surgery. He was in pain. Hashem wanted to protect him. Hashem wanted him to sit still, go lie in bed, go sit on the couch, go focus on your recovery. Now is not the time to have guests. So he put the conditions in such a way there would be no guests. He was trying to protect Avram. So on the one hand, he's recognizing and protecting Avram in his recovery from surgery. On the other, he's criticizing Avram that Avram didn't do everything himself? Anyway, just read the Pasha critically, and these questions jump at you. These questions jump out at you. Last week's Pasha, King of Stom offers Avram the spoils of the war, which legally he's entitled to, and Avram says, no, I don't want my wealth to come from you. Hashem promised me that I'll become wealthy. I don't want it to come through you. To which I wondered, maybe that's how Hashem wants you to become wealthy. Maybe you were supposed to buy a lottery ticket. 
Hashem, you promised me wealth. What happened to the 1.9 billion? Hey, fool, did you buy a ticket? Maybe the spoils, which he was entitled to, it wasn't gratuitous or a matana. The law of the time was, the law of the land was, to the victor go the spoils. He was entitled to them. So why does he turn them away? Maybe that was exactly how Hashem wanted him to become wealthy. Maybe there's exact means through which he was meant to attain his wealth. Anyway, just think critically in the way that we read the Pasha. So Rav Nachman says, he feeds these angels. He feeds these angels. He runs to give them food. Did he know they were angels or did he think they were men? So certainly at first he thought they were men. That's why he troubled himself and bothered himself to get up and to run. He didn't just move slowly. He moved with alacrity and zeal to go provide for them. Certainly at first he thinks they're men. But as time goes on, Rab Nachman suggests, proposes, that he clearly realized these were no ordinary men, that Hashem had sent them. So Rav Nachman wonders, Nachman of Breslov wonders, if he comes to realize these are no ordinary men, these are angels, shouldn't he stop the meal? Stop, turn the fires off, turn the oven off, stop all the food prep. Turns out, they're here for some other reason, we could communicate, let's talk, but they don't need the food. Why is he feeding them anyway? Listen to this beautiful insight of Rav Nachman. I love this insight. Avram was trying to communicate and teach something to the Malachim. He wanted them to understand something about our way of life down here on earth. They come from the world above. They come from a place of perfection. They come from a place that is free of temptation and desire. They come from a place in which automatically one does all that is right. Rav Nassim writes in Likutei Alachos, quoting from his Rebbe Rav Nachman, Shemalachem shochnei shamayim kashalahavin is godelan is yonoshal olam azeh. The Malachim can't relate to, they can't identify with temptation and desire and appetite and drive. They don't understand what that means. Like, what do you mean you're still eating if you're full? The Malachim would look with wonder, like, what? I don't understand. Which is a wonderful question on every one of us. It merely makes no sense. As intelligent, as bright, as accomplished as we are, we are pathetic fools. Animals don't eat once they're full. They understand the purpose of eating is to live. You don't live to eat, you eat to live. And animals, when they're done, when they feel full, when they have derived the nourishment they need, they're done, they stop. And what do we do? I'll take three more of those and four more of those and six more side dishes. And where's the dessert? We keep eating. Malachim don't understand because for us, our eyes are bigger than our stomach. Ooh, that looks delicious, that looks amazing. Our portions, everything that we want. They don't understand the malachim, what it means to have an internet and images and icons that distract us and that draw us. They don't understand a world of temptation and drive. They don't understand. So the malachim come down and they go up to God and they prosecute against us. These lowly, pathetic men, we've discussed also the medrash, how the angels from the very beginning of time prosecuted and told Hashem they're fallible, they're failures, they're flops, they're frauds. Don't create a world with humans in it. Don't. You're going to regret it. When Akash Baruch Hu, when we fail him, he tells the angels, I don't want to hear it. Don't tell me you were right. I don't want to hear it. It was worth creating the world anyway. He throws Emes to the ground. We've discussed that medrash. So from the very beginning of time, the Malachim who can't identify at all with the way that we live, they're busy prosecuting against us. So you know what Avram Avinu does? He says, come here, angels. Avram Nassam Lam Ochel. He says, come. I want, you to, I want you to experience an all-you-can-eat buffet. Come. I'm taking you to a Pesach program. I want you to see a Pesach program. I was once at a Pesach program many years ago. 
and the uh, chef came out of the kitchen, or sorry, the maitre, the host of the program at the end, he said, you know, there's, there's only a thousand people staying at this hotel, but according to the chef, there's 10,000 people each meal. <laughs> you know, when they give you the option of which main, many people say, yes. <laughs> I just want a taste of that one, and a taste of this one, and a taste of that one. And the next meal, I'm not eating anything. I'm so full, there's no way I possibly can have. A taste of this, and three of those, and four of those. So Avram Avinu says to the Malachim, who have no a sense of what it's like to live as pathetically as we do, to have the struggles and the temptation, the drive and the desire and the appetite that we do. You know what Avram Avinu says to them? He says, come, I want you to come to a Pesach program. I want you to sit in the sukkah over sukkahs. I want you to have three meals a day for eight days. Come. To understand a little bit, to get a little bit of a taste, pun intended, of what our life is like, what it's like to live like us. That we have physical needs and physical desires and physical drive, and that it overwhelms and overcomes us and attempts us. Get a little taste, have a little understanding. Have a bissel rachmanus. Feel bad for us. Don't sit in judgment of us. Don't prosecute us. You have no idea if you were down here, you have no idea how it would be for you. So you know what? Go back and be proud and be happy that you don't live with this drive and this temptation, but stop sitting in judgment of us. Stop prosecuting us because you have no idea how long you'd last if you had to come down here and endure the tests that we have. tradition that even though they ate and they stayed angels, they didn't become human beings, but they too tasted imperfection. They tasted failure and they weren't able to return immediately back upstairs. They had work to do on themselves because they got a little sense of what it's like to be imperfect, a little sense of what it's like to be human, what it's like to be human. And the core of this is, is eating, is food. You can find online, I know I keep giving you many references to myself, but we once gave a whole I think last year or two years ago, on the Jewish approach to eating and to food, quoted many sources. We say in Mizmor David, you make a table before me in full view of my adversaries. Who are my adversaries? Who are my enemies? My appetite, me. Lechem, the word bread, the staple of eating, is the same root as the word milchama. Every time we eat, we're waging a war with ourselves. Some are not. For some, there's no battle, there's no war, it's easy. They have, no, they have to be reminded, don't forget to eat. I have a child like that. We have to beg him, we have to chase him, we have to remind him, we have to bribe him to eat. It's a waste of his time, he has no interest. Can't relate, I don't know, who, I don't know where this kid came from. Don't understand it whatsoever, whatsoever. But most of us live every day with, when's my next meal? Ooh, that looks so good. Ooh, I'll have some of that. I can't wait to go there. I can't wait to eat that again. It's so hard. Angels, come get a taste. Why is this lesson, this insight of Rav Nachman, I find so powerful, so beautiful? I, I, when I was in Eretz Yisrael, I met with several Gedoli Yisrael, and I shared with them several dilemmas or tensions or things that I'm struggling with or thinking about. And without getting into the details of, of one of those conversations, one of them said to me about a particular issue he had in his community. First of all, the very fact that he faces similar dilemmas was very validating and reassuring to me. But he had a dilemma, he didn't know what to do, and he went to a bigger gadol, he would say, or a previous gadol of the previous generation, who told him, don't sit in judgment of that person, and don't hold back from showing kindness to him or his family, because if you were in his shoes, you have no idea if you would have ever passed his test. You have no idea. 
his background, his genetics, his drive, his desire, his condition, his conditioning. You have no idea if you would have failed worse, if you would have done better. So your job is not to sit in judgment, that's for Hashem. Your job is to step in and do all that you can to help and make things better. It's a very powerful image. And that's what Rav Nachman is saying. Avram Avinu was telling the angels, come over here. Come to the Pesach program. Come to the All You Can Eat Shmorg. Come. I want you to taste a little bit of a typical Shabbos meal. You have so many opinions about how much we eat, you've never sat around one of our tables. I want you to taste a little bit. I want you to live a little bit with what it's like. Because when you go back, I know that you're not going to make a buffet in heaven, but I want you to have a little more pity, a little less judgment, a little more understanding of what we live with, of that desire, that temptation, that struggle that we have on a regular basis and, and all the time. Okay, so that was Otsar Plaus HaTorah and, and Rav Nachman. There's another uh, insight he has here. Sara Imenu, Pirsa Nida. She became a Nida. So we know that Avram and Sarah kept the whole Torah even before it was given. So if she was a Nida, how did she conceive? What does a Nida, do, Nida need to do before they can be with their husband? You have to go to the mikvah. Did Sari Imenu go to the mikvah? Here again, only Otsir Plos HaTorah could dig up such sources. Rav Moshe Basula. Who was Rav Moshe Basula? He has in the footnotes these biographies. He was born in Italy. His father was Rav Mordechai Tzarfati. He was an expert in Kabbalah. He has a whole biography of Rav Moshe Basula. He went to go visit Eretz Yisrael in the year Reish Pei Aleph and in Reish Pei Vav. And he writes about his journey and his, his uh, travels to Eretz Yisrael in the Sefer Masos Eretz Yisrael. And there he writes, L'sha'achas balayla higati lechevron. One time at night I came to Chevron. Chevron It's 22 mil from Yerushalayim to Chevron. That's the distance. Halakhti lespalala kivriyavos. I went to Chevron to go daven at Maras Machpela. Karav l'sham. I was near there. Raisi mikva gedola ma'od. I saw a great, a large mikva. Im arba mudim merubayim gedolam with four large pillars. It was deep. It had a magnificent ladder. It was the mikvah of Sarah Imenu. He says on his journey, on his travels, he came across the mikvah of Sarah Imenu. And he quotes more about this again. These are one of these obscure sources that this wonderful Savior digs up and answers a question we didn't even know we had, which is, if she was Pirsanida, Sarah Imenu had to go to the mikvah first. Then by Yimahera, Avram, Avram runs to the tent, tells Sarah, says, prepare all these things, quickly, 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 alacrity, 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 taking care of the guests. I'm not going to take the time now, I thought I would. Maybe we'll discuss another time. But the Dvar Avram, the Dvar Avram, who was the Dvar Avram? Rav Avram, Dov Berakoin, Shapira, who was Avbezdan and Kovna, the Dvar Avram, a great, uh, great posek, Shtubah's Dvar Avram, and Chelek Beis, Simon Beis, he quotes from the Chavetz Chaim a story. Do you sing Shalom Aleichem in Eishas Chayel? Before Kiddush or after Kiddush? So most have the minute, when do we sing it all? Before. Come home and you sing it all before. The problem is, if you have around your table people who are hungry, if you're hosting guests who are hungry, you are delaying feeding them food. While you're doing what? Interacting with the angels. Welcoming to your home and turning them around. So is that appropriate? Is that proper? Those who are learning Mesech's Nadarm will appreciate this. Mesech's Nadarm, we came across the concept of Balta Acher. Balta'achar means when you make a promise or pledge, you're not allowed to delay in fulfilling it. When it comes to karbanos, you have three regalim. You have three holidays. 
when it comes to fulfilling the mitzvah of tzedakah, if you made a promise or pledge to tzedakah, when do you have to fulfill it? Immediately, unless you negotiated a payout over time. But if you otherwise simply said, Stam, you're going to give something to tzedakah, you violate balta acher if you don't give it immediately. You have to pay the pledge immediately. When it comes to tzedakah, when it comes to an ani. In fact, I saw a whole discussion. You have to give a bar mitzvah boy a gift immediately. If you promise the bar mitzvah boy a gift, the bar mitzvah boy, as soon as he's turned 13, and he's no longer under the responsibility of the parent, Baruch how many assets does he have? Unless he's the beneficiary of a trust fund, none. He's a poor person. So that bar mitzvah gift is really a gift to a poor person. And when it comes to tzedakah, to an ani, there's a prohibition about ta'achar, you have to give the gift immediately. Interesting whole tshuva about how, how long do you have to give a bar mitzvah gift. So come back to the Dvar Avram, quotes to Chavetz Chaim. Chavetz Chaim says, he writes this in the Mishnah Bura as well, when you get home, start to eat immediately. If nobody's hungry, you can wait, but normally you have guests or even members of your family. In that state, they have the status of a poor person waiting to eat. A poor person waiting to eat, you cannot delay paying or providing what you're going to give them. And therefore, the Chavetz Chaim talks about, therefore, Chavetz Chaim talks about only... Um, only singing Shalom Aleichem and Eshes Chayel after you began the meal, after Kiddush and after Kiddush and Hamotzi. It's pretty wild, no? Pretty wild. And he has all discussion from the Dvar Avram. Limed Zchusa Minaga Olam Shenogan Loma Kolas Mirus Lofnei Kiddush. Dvar Avram says, Well, how do you defend those who sing beforehand? Why are you delaying? Why are you pushing it off? Chasam Sofer didn't sing Shalom Aleichem at all for this reason. It's quoted. The Chasam Sofer omitted Shalom Aleichem because you can't sing a song to angels while your guests are hungry and waiting to be eating. Anyway, he has a whole arichas, he has a whole discussion of this, but alas, we don't have time. Perak Yilchaz, Pasuk Yud Zayin. turns to Avram and he says, Ba'ashem Amar, God says, Ha'mechasani me'avram asher ani Am I going to hide from Avram what I'm about to do? Avram is now my trusted, loyal servant. Avram is faithful to me and my vision for this world more than anyone who came before him. They were all big failures. Kain kills hell with jealousy, and the door Hamabul is Taiva, and the door Haflaga is Kavod, Kina Taiva and Kavod, Mutzinus Adam and Olam. These three generations, they don't get the purpose of this world. They destroy the world. Avram is the first one who gets it. Avram is the first one who lives for others, not for himself. Avram is the first one who lives trying to promote God's vision for the world. So Hashem says, This Avram is so special, is so precious to me. Hamechasani me Avram. Am I going to conceal from Avram what I'm about to do? Can't be, Efsher, not possible. I have to tell Avram what I'm about to do. Says the altar of Kelm, how did Avram know? So Hashem then continues and he tells Avram, Avraham, hayo gadol. Again, the Torah reminds us the problem Hashem, promise Hashem made him. Ki dativ, why Hashem loves him. There's a whole discussion. He brings an Otsu Plus HaTorah. This is the source of leaving an ethical will to children. Laman asher What's Avram's greatest legacy? Billions of monotheists, the majority of the globe today, believing in one God, is that his greatest legacy? No. You know what his biggest legacy is? His children walked in his footsteps. With the big difference we make in this world, with all of our ambition and drive to change the planet, with, a, with all that we want to do to leave a legacy, our greatest and our most core responsibility is as beso, as banav acharav, our children. It can't be at the expense of or neglecting our children. Because the Kodesh Baruch Hu says, what do I love about Avram? You know what I love about him? Not a nefesh Not that he introduces monotheism to the world. 
You know what I love about him? He puts time into his kids, his family. That's what I love about him. His family, he's a family man. He's a good father. That's what I love about him. Avram leaves a tzava'ah. What's a tzava'ah? He's explicit with an ethical will. And he quotes here many sources. This is the idea. And many of our greats, I think there was a book that's a collection of the tzava'ahs, of the ethical wills of many Gedol Yisrael, who don't just say, you know, you get the leichter, you get the menorah, you get the property, divide the money equally. You don't just leave a will, a financial will, but you leave an ethical will. Here's what we value, here's what we care about, here's how I want you to live, here's what I want you to do. Many people in their estate planning actually combine the two because they create conditions within the estate planning that you're only eligible and you only qualify to inherit this if that you have to be Jewish, or you have to be married to a Jew, or you have to, I know one person who wanted his grandchildren to go on March of the Living, whatever, the, whatever you think will be critically important for you, that your children afterwards will follow in your footsteps, you can either leave a parallel ethical will, or you could intertwine the two by creating conditions of the will on your tzavah, on your ethical will. What you anticipate, what you want, what you promise, what you believe, what you hope, and what you dream for them. It's more than just the property and the assets that you leave and that you divide, but an ethical will, a tzava. What, what matters, what's important, what you care about. One member of our community did something brilliant. He deeply, deeply is committed to his family, always getting together. He has a Baruch Hashem, Kenayinahar, a large family, many children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. So he set up a trust who the sole purpose of the trust of the money is to pay once a year for the family to get together. So nobody can claim, I love my cousins, my siblings, my nephews and nieces, but alas, it's expensive, we can't do it. Nobody could benefit from that trust other than the sole exclusive use of getting together once a year. He was essentially using the money to leave a tzava. We value, we care about, it's important to us that our family is united, is whole and spends time together. So I'm putting aside this money that you can't use for anything else other than reunion, getting together once a year. And he left one of his daughters-in-law in charge, not any of his sons, because he knows she specializes in creating these reunions, guilting people, holding them accountable, making sure they show up. So he left several daughters-in-law in charge of that trust to make sure they get together. Don't just do estate planning with your assets, do planning with your values. How will you communicate and transmit your values so that they are lived? Okay, so back to HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, so the, the altar of Kelm wonders, how, did Avram, how does Avram react afterwards? Hashem says, look, stone, bad people, got to wipe them out. Just felt I had to let you know. It's just an FYI for you because of how close I feel to you. And what does Avram do? He says, whoa, 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 not so fast, God. Are you kidding? A whole city, five towns, you're going to wipe out? Five cities? I made a promise this year I wouldn't make a joke about five towns. HaKadosh Baruch going to wipe out five cities? No way, not on my watch. How could you? What if there are righteous people? Ask the altar of Kelm, how did Avram know it was okay to protest? How did Avram know it was okay to object? He's objecting and protesting to the Ribbonishlam, to the Almighty, to the Omnipotent Infinite, to the Most Powerful. He might as well wipe you out too while he's out it. While he's at it, he's going to wipe out five cities. He's going to wipe you out if you try to stand in his way. How did Avram know? You know how Avram concluded he had license, why it was okay? Because he asked himself, why is Hashem telling me this? Why am I becoming aware of this? Why am I learning about this? 
Why does Hashem feel it's important for me to know? Why did He give me this FYI? Because He was giving me an invitation to protest and to object. Because my role and my purpose right now is to stand up and say no. Kodesh Baruch doesn't seem right. I'll accept whatever you say in the end, but I don't think it's right. And this is something that we see, says the author of Kelm, that we're supposed to feel a sensitivity. When we learn, when we become aware, when we're told explicitly or implicitly that someone is struggling, we don't just say, well, that's the will of Hashem. That person is meant to be diagnosed with that. That person was meant to suffer with that. We don't just turn away or passively say, well, I guess that's the will of Hashem. Let me go back to what I'm doing. We say, you know why I became aware of that? Because I meant to protest and object. I learned about it because I'm told to daven for it. That's our invitation. That's our invitation. And again, this is not for now. This speaks to a bigger question. Why do we ever daven? If Hashem has determined that in that person's best interest is to suffer in that way, why do we say, Why do we daven for people to get married, to have children, to draw a parnasa? If that was what was right for them, Hashem would make it happen to them. The fact that it's not happening to them maybe means it's not right for them. Why are we trying to twist Hashem's arm? Why are we trying to object or protest? Who are we to tell Him what to do? And this is the core text. Avram Avinu creates the precedent and the license for each of us. And the author of Kelm is telling us it's in fact even more than that. Not only is it okay, every time that we have sadly had to have a Tehillim gathering in order to advocate on behalf of of somebody who's going through a terrible, terrible time, I always say, Kodesh Baruch doesn't want us to passively accept. We are here as a community, as a seaboard, to say, Hashem, this is not okay, it's not okay with us. We object, we protest, we beg, we plead. We're asking you to reconsider. Where do we get the right to do that? Who are we to do it? What is the answer? The answer is Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu. And the author of Kelm says, that's, we know about it, we're exposed to what we learn about someone's problems. Why? Because that's our obligation, that's our responsibility, that's our invitation. But what do we do afterwards? So it occurred to me, this is my own insight, the psukim continue, and what is after Avram has this whole negotiation? 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10, there's gotta be, if there's 10 righteous Hashem, please. And what does he do right after the conversation? What does he say? Pasuk describes that Avram realizes Where's the Pasuk? Avram realizes he's Afar Ve'efer. Where's that Pasuk? And why is that right here? Which Pasuk? Chavzayin? Thank you. Avram says, Behold, I was desired to speak to Hashem, but I'm just Afar Ve'efer. All I am is dust and ash. I'm a nothing. In other words, object and protest and talk to Hashem. And right after you confront Hashem and advocate and step up, Vayigash, so one of the three Vayigashes in the Torah, you know my favorite, Rokeach. The Ramah quotes the Rokeach, why do we take three steps forward to start our Amidah? Because three times Vayigash. Avram Vayigash, he steps up to fight for stone. And Eliyahu Anavi Vayigash, Yehuda Vayigash, we take three steps forward, we begin our Amidah, we follow in their footsteps, three steps forward and we say, Hashem, I'm here to protest, to object. Vaigash, Avram steps up. And right after he does so, what does he do? Ooh, he recoils and he says, even though I objected and protested, I'm not telling you what to do. That was my job, but in the end of the day, I accept whatever you determine. You're God, I work for you, you don't work for me. Anochi offer ve'efer. And I'd like to humbly suggest to you, we do the same. When? Every single day. 
we do the same thing every single day. Why? What do we do? We say the Amida. And what is the Amida? Baruch Atah. We talk to Hashem first person. You, you, you. Atah chonin adam da'as. Atah. You, you, you. Here's what we want you to do. You do this, you do this, you do this. This is the way we see the world. This is what we're asking you to do. This is what we protest and object about. Rifa'inu, baruch aleinu. You, you, you. Do this, do that. And what do we do right afterwards? We fall down on our arm. We're afar ve'efer. Tachanan. Amagornish tamen nothing. We're following exactly the precedent of Avram Avinu. Except when I was in Eretz last week, I davened at Ger every day. If you ever davened the Ger Beis Medrash, it's a huge room and multiple minyanim everywhere. They never said Tachanan one day. So I asked the Chassid, he said, look around this room, you don't think there's a bris every day here? So they don't say Tachanan ever. It's a bris every day. Kenai Nahara, Baruch Hashem. But the text of the, to- of the Siddur, you, you say Shmon Esri, you take three steps forward, Vayigash, with our chest out and our head high and brazenly, and boldly, and we protest, and we object, and we say, Hashem, I'm here to advocate, and to fight for, and to protest, and right afterwards, like Avram Avinu, Afar Ve'efer. But I also know my place. I'm a nothing, I'm a no one, I'm dust, and I'm ash. We fall right on our arm, and we say, Tachanun, immediately afterwards. Perak Yutes, Pasuk, Chaf, Zion. Page 88. Avram wakes up in the morning, and he goes to the place that he stood there. What do we learn from there? Avram is going back to the place. What place? That he had passed through before. Says the Gemara Brachos. Gemara Brachos Davav on this Pasuk. If a person, what do you learn from this? The fact that Avram went back to the same place he was means he has a Makom Kavua. He's a set Makom. He davens in the same place. He doesn't make his way around the shul. Who do I want to schmooze with today? I'll move my seat every day. Which minion do I want to go to? Which shul do I want to daven at? He has a makom kavua. This is my place, my set place. Says the Gemara Brachos. Whoever has a set place to daven, whoever has a makom kavua, then you are imitating, you're emulating, you're following the footsteps of Avram, and the God of Avram will come help you like he helped Avram. When a person dies, if they had a makum kavua, you know what they'll say about you at your hespid? You know what they'll say about you at your levaya? Wow, what a humble person, what a pious person, what a student of Avram Avinu. They had a makum kavua. Where do you know Avram had a makom kavua? Because the Pasuk says, our Pasuk, Avram got up in the morning, he went back to the place that he stood. He went back to that place. Avram had a makom kavua. If you have a makom kavua, God will help you like he helped Avram. And when we die, they will stole our virtues at our funeral and say, wow, a student of Avram Avinu, how humble. How pious, how righteous, they had a makam kavua. What's the big deal about the makam kavua? What's the big deal about a makam kavua? Makam kavua could cost you a lot of money. I toured Bells last week in Eretz Yisrael. 10,000 seats in the main base Medrash in Bells. I don't know if you heard that right. 10,000 seats. I was in the arena in Auburn last night, 8,000 seats. Bells base Medrash, Lahavdil, 10,000 seats. How do they afford to build this $100 million building? It's an unbelievable building bells. That's the Shabbos based Medrash. During the week, there are 11 Shtibloch. There are 4,000 people a day that dive in the Shachar's Minchamar. They serve 12,000 cups of coffee. There are seven men's mikvos, each the size of half a swimming pool, 40,000 towels. The stats are mind boggling, this building. They sell the seats. It depends. You're in an aisle, you're in middle, you're in the front, you're in the back. Where, how far are you? How close are you to the Rebbe? What can you see? So a Makam Kavu could be expensive. 
when we do our expansion, please God, soon, we hope to not need to raise money by selling seats because it's complicated when a person sells a seat, owns a seat, their name is on the seat. What does that mean to own that makam kavua? So is that what the Gemara means? Wow, we're going to say wonderful things about you. The makam kavua cost you big time. You bought a, a front, leg, extra leg room, comfort plus, seat, plush. So that's going to cost you big time. Wow, we're going to say wonderful things about you at Yulavaya. That's not what it means. Revolba says the following. The great Mashkiach says the following. Chazal tell us that Avram Avinu, his approach was an approach of humility. The whole essence of davening is bittel. Davening is all about, I'm not in charge, I'm not in control, it's not about me. Hashem, I submit, I surrender to you. I'm a nothing, you're everything. Davening, the, davening is all an exercise in humility. Davening is nullifying our sense of, of I, our nochius. And when you do that, you become a chasa. When you're an anav, when you're humble, when you're humble and you realize I'm not in charge, I'm not in control, I submit, I surrender to you, Hashem, then you become a chasid, you become a pious person. So a person is koveya makam latfilaso means that a person continually returns to the same place. And what is that place? It's a place of humility. Avram Avinu, returning to that place is not only a physical geographical description, it means coming back to a place of humility. And when a person lives with humility, which is the prerequisite to tefillah, authentic, earnest, heartfelt davening, has to be built and founded on a sense of, I submit and I surrender to you. You're in charge, you're in control. I am not. I work for you, you don't work for me. And that's what makes a person pious and we follow in the footsteps by making a makom kavua. Rav Shechter said differently. A couple weeks ago, we had a massive seam down here. Rav Shechter of Amar came, smichas chaver. It's a beautiful, beautiful event. And there was a question and answer after and someone asked a question about, is it halachically permissible to daven at a breakaway shul? To daven at a breakaway minion? I did not ask that question. Somebody asked that question. And Rav Shechter answered the following. He quoted this Gemara. And he said, what does it mean if you have a makam kavua, you're an anav? So he quoted the tzlach, the Nodabi Yehuda and the Gemara in Brachos. And the Nodabi Yehuda says the following. He says, you know what it means to have a makam kavua? And why does that have to do with humility? So the arrogant person davens and comes before God and feels, I'm so worthy, I'm so capable, my davening is so compelling that Hashem is going to answer whatever I want. But the humble person realizes I'm so inadequate. I'm so imperfect that who am I to ask him and why would he ever answer me? So you know what my best bet is? To compliment my tefillos with those around me. That my tefillos not just be the one I'm offering today, but I want to compound all the tefillos I offered in the past with all the tefillos I'm going to offer in the future. And maybe if you combine all my tefillos for all time, maybe it'll be a worthy enough tefillah that it's worth being answered. So how do I do that? I sit in the same seat and I go to the same minion and I collect all the tefillahs I've ever offered, mine and all the other people around me in that minion. Hey Anav, hey Chassid. That's what it means to be a Talmud of Avram Avinu. That you go into a shul that is Kedusha's based Knesses, you daven with a Tzibur who value community, you sit in a Makam Kavua and you collect and you go gather all those tefillahs that you've ever offered and the people around you have ever offered. And so the Shemona Esrei that you'll say at Mincha today is not just that Shemona Esrei. It's the Shemona Esrei of every Shemona Esrei that was ever offered in that seat, from that seat, in that row, in that minion, in that shul, in that sanctuary. And that's what the Tzlach says, that's what it means to be an Arav and a Chassid, to have a Makam Kavua. I saw another Pshat. You know why it means you're a humble person if you have a Makam Kavua? Because if you're arrogant, every minion, every shul you go to, you get in a fight with someone. Gabbai didn't give you an Aliyah, they didn't give you enough honor on your yurt site, they didn't give you the Psicha, they didn't give you Maftar Yonah. They didn't uh, give you enough kavod. 
So you end up going to another minion. Then you go, end up going to another shul and you're constantly running away to different minyanim, different shuls because it's all about you and your covered and the machlokas and the fight you get into. A person who could sit in the same seat, in the same minion, in the same shul, a makam kavua over and over and over again, hey anav, hey chasid. How humble you must be that you're there to daven, it's not about you, it's about him. If you have, sta- if you have staying power, if you could be in a makam kavua, then like Avram Avinu, you're a humble person. It's about that makam kavua. That is what it is about. Perak yutes pasuk chavtes. Vahi b'shachis alokim asareh akikar vayiskor alokim as Avram. Shem is ready to destroy stone. He remembers Avram. Meshlachis lo mitoch hafecha b'hafoch asarim sheyeshev b'hen lo. Rav Yerucham says something amazing here. Yerucham says the Ramban tells us lo. Why does Avram feel so compelled to go save Lot? He's fighting for Lot. He advocates for Lot, and he literally saves Lot in the war of the four and the five kings last week's parsha and now. Hashem is saving Lot in the merit of Avram. Why? It's because of Avram that Lot is living in stone. Avram feels a personal responsibility for Lot. You know why? Because if not for him, they'd still be living in Charan. Avram answered the call from Hashem to head for Canaan. Lot came with him, and only because Lot followed him on that journey did Lot end up in stone. So Avram feels a personal responsibility for him. Says Rav Yerucham, says the great Mashkiach of the Mir, says Rav Yerucham, you know what you understand from this Ramban? How and to what degree a person must take responsibility for their actions. A person has to realize the consequences of their actions the responsibility of our actions. The choices we make, the choices we make have consequences for ourselves and people around us. And we can't be flippant or casual and say, well, that's the way Hashem wanted it to be. That's just the way it is. That's just the way it happened. If a load ended up in stone and I can trace that result to my being the cause because we left Haran, then I've got to take responsibility. Achrayis. If you listen to last week on Behind the Bima. I interviewed Rav Berkowitz, the Rosh Hashiva of Eshat Torah. It was an incredible conversation. It was such a schuss for me, over an hour interview conversation with him. He's a, the biggest post-take maybe of the Anglo community in Yerushalayim and Israel today, Rosh Hashiva of Esh. Extraordinary, extraordinary person. And we had a conversation about this. I asked him about Shaduchim today. And he said, the problem is not Shaduchim. The problem is even before you get to Shaduchim, are we teaching young men Achrayas? Are we teaching B'nai Yeshiva how to take Achrayas? What it means to be responsible, what it means to be accountable, what it means to take achrayis. What it means to take achrayis. Says Rabbi Yerucham, that's what this Ramban is getting at. That Avram Avinu takes achrayis. If Lot's in stone, you don't just say, well, Lot was distracted. Lot was tempted. Lot ended up in the wrong neighborhood. That's his fault. That's his problem. Avram Avinu says, well, Lot would be living in Haran if not for me. So if he ended up in stone, I've got to step up. Achrayis. It's the name of the game. It's what it means to be a Jew. Extreme ownership to take achrayas over our lives, to take responsibility. Chaf alav ches. We're about halfway through what I wanted to share with you today. Per chaf alav pasal ches. Yitzchak is finally born. Vayigdal hayelad, he grows up, vayigamal, he's weaned. It's the source of bar mitzvah. Vayas avram mishteh gadol, biyom higamel as Yitzchak. Avram makes a big party on the day that he weans Yitzchak. He makes a big party. How do we define a big party? How do we define a big party? This is another Rav Yerucham, two Rav Yerucham's in a row. How do we define a big party? Was there only chicken or was there a meat option? 
How big was the symphony? Was the orchestra? A guy on a keyboard? Or 20-piece orchestra? Was there one famous singer? Two or three famous singers? How many people did you have? How many people were invited? Two video crews or one video crew? The flowers, the chuppah. Our definition of a simcha, look at Rashi. What does it mean? Vayas Avram mishteh gadol, he made a big party. Mishteh gadol, uwa. Simcha spot. It was on all the Instagram. What was it mean, mishteh gadol? Zagd Rashi. Shahayu sham gedolei hador. Shem ve'ever melach. You know what it made in a mishteh gadol? The gedolei hador were there. The gedolei Yisrael were there. Atkama sfas ha-Torah shona misfaseinu. How different the language of the Torah is different than our language, says Rav Yerucham. When we think of a Mishteh Gadol, we think about the orchestra, the menu, the attendance, the venue, the flowers, the photography. When the Torah thinks of a Mishteh Gadol, you know what it thinks about? Who was there? Were there Gadol Yisrael? Were there Tzadikim and Tzidkanios? Were there righteous people? That's what it means to be a Mishteh Gadol. My friend Lavi, Lavi Greenspan got married this week. Lavi and I were in yeshiva together. He's been blind since he was 20. He went blind and he got married this week to an extraordinary woman. And there were pictures and videos. I wasn't at the wedding circulating. Since he went blind at 20 and Lavi can't learn or read on his own, obviously blind, so he asks others to have chavrusas with him to read with him. So many stories I could tell you now is not the time, including he asks them to learn with him in his svarim and to underline certain parts because he's such faith in Hashem that he'll see once again he wants to go to the Svarim to see what was underlined because he believes that he would, he'll see again. That's his trust, that's in his faith in Hashem. And one of the things that he did when he went blind, he got the phone number of Gedola Yisrael and he calls them all the time for a Dvar Torah, for a Bracha. So at his wedding, the pictures and the videos of what came out from Rav Shechter sitting next to Rav Yerucham Moshe, Rav Makiel Cutler, Rav Achfog, all the Gedola Yisrael of America were all at this wedding. We're all so happy, we're all so joyous, we're all so incredibly happy. That's a Mishteh Gadol. When you look at the videos and the pictures of that incredible simcha from this week, nobody's looking at the flowers. Who was the singer? What did the bar look like? How well was it stocked? What was the menu? Was there just chicken? Or did they also have meat? Nobody's looking. You know what a mishteh gadol is? Shehayusham gedolei hador. That's a mishteh gadol. When we have the merit to welcome, to invite, and to make it easy for gedolei Yisrael to come. You know, you have people who will spend up the wazoo to impress on the physical part, but to say, you know what, I want this gadol to come, so I'm going to pay for a car for so I'm going to make it easy for them. That, oh no, they don't have any money for that. That's not important. That nobody will see or be impressed by. So, the, the, you see the language, the vernacular, the Torah is very different. Who has another hour? Anyone want to sit for another hour? So much more. Okay. Good news is we're going to read Parshas Vayera next week as well. If you've not yet, take out your phone and go on rabbiefromgoldberg.org slash WhatsApp and join the Parsha Perspective WhatsApp group. You don't know, maybe one of these extra things I didn't get to, I'll just throw in as bonus material. Maybe, you never know. But if you want to keep up with the schedule of the year, get the Parsha right up, get some bonus material, join the WhatsApp group. Until next time, first of all, vote today also, by the way. It's election day. Everyone has a responsibility. Go vote. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and stay holy.